Welcome to Acamedia, a podcast from the Society of Cinema and Media Studies. For? Of? At. I don't mean to keep like, I know Around. our listeners are like, come on, how Within? many, you know, we're tired of this, but seriously. it is Society um, 2. Okay. Society 4. All right. Cinema across. and Media Studies. Anyways. Here welcome we are. Welcome to our podcast. Yeah. And welcome to kind of our new model. And we, who are you? Um, oh, I'm Chris Becker. Sorry. Christine Becker, University of Notre Dame. I'm Michael Kackman. And um, we're trying something new here because uh, we look at how long it takes us to get these episodes out. And we thought, like, maybe we could do these a little quicker. And especially that rather than, you know, kind of putting together two segments, maybe just one segment. Like, basically, when we have something ready to go, we'll In and out. it out into the world. Zoom, zoom. Yeah. And so this may Acomedia not... bites. Acomedia no, bites. No, it doesn't. Mm, there you go. Oh, Michael. Uh, but it's been a long d- semester. Don't worry, that kind of wit from Michael will continue. We will we preserving. <laughs> we are preserving some of the integrity here at Acamedia. And it could take as long between episodes as usual anyways, even just to do one because as Michael just said, it's it's been a tough semester, tough times. Big lift. Yeah. Um, but we do have a segment here, so we do, we do. have it's a, a reason. It's a good one. It's a barn burner. And it's also now super timely. It like, is timely. Even more timely than when we even first recorded it, which is about a month ago, I think we recorded this. And this is uh, a friend of ours, Drew Zalitis, uh, contacted me because he had a visit at his university, Xavier University, by Lara Logan, a uh, a person, a report, I, no, not... Mm. She's a person. A figure? I mean, figure. definitely a person. A figure. Yeah, a figure in a journalism-adjacent realm <laughs> might be one way. Journalism-adjacent, I like that. Yeah. And so we're going to let Drew explain everything. He describes who she is. If you don't know who she is, he explains. And then also what took place at Xavier University. So we will let um, Drew do all the heavy lifting there. Um, but yeah, she is back in the news again recently. And so uh, we've got, you know, maybe our delay then was, was all for the best. This week on on Acamedia, when an assistant professor stands up, nice asks the question that needs to be asked. There you go. Go get him, Drew. Yeah, and so if you don't know who Drew Zalitas is, he teaches courses in new media, digital design, and communication and media. His research focuses on media industries and how institutional structures impact the types of media messages and discourse we see. He has a particular interest in celebrity studies, investigating the logics and strategies used to create branded individuals with high cultural and fiscal capital. Currently, he is researching how politics have been instilled with celebrity discourses and what this means for our understanding of representative democracy and personal citizenship. So once you hear that, you now know why he is like the perfect person he to talk. Absolutely perfect. For yeah, this. and and to have you know been able to reflect on this visit by Lara Logan to Xavier University. All right, take it away. Welcome to uh, Acamedia, Drew. Thank you so much for having me and uh, hosting uh, something I was very curious to talk about. (laughs) So set the stage for this event then. How did this event happen? Who got invited? Uh, And for those listeners who don't know who this person is, give a little explanation of who that is and then how this played out. 
the business school at Xavier University has a something called the Smith Center. I would say it's a bit more right-leaning, a bit of a sort of pro-business, pro-capitalism kind of outlet. And this organization invited Lara Logan uh, to come speak on what they were calling a panel on the state of journalism. Now, why the business school was hosting a panel on the state of journalism, I'm not quite sure on, especially coming from the communication department on campus. Uh, for folks who don't know, Laura Logan uh, is a reporter. Uh, she used to work at CBS News, most prominently on 60 Minutes. This is also what led to her most well-known failing, I guess I would say, or, or trouble, which was a false uh, or at least partially false report on Benghazi. Uh, this is back in 2013. To sort of condense a much larger story, essentially one of the people they had on, the story he told uh, turned out to be factually inaccurate and to contradict a previous a, a FBI report that he gave to the FBI. So there were some issues there. It was a big problem in terms of just journalistic malfeasance, I guess, or at least mistakes. Uh, she had to go on air and apologize, calling this a mistake. She was put on leave from CBS News in 60 Minutes and then eventually was let go. In the intervening years, she's been doing a lot of different things, but most recently she now works uh, for Fox, uh, specifically Fox Nation. She has a sh new show there called No Agenda with Lara Logan. And even while she has her sort of reporting going on there, she's also appeared in the last about year or so as a Fox News pundit, talking head. Um, and it's in these appearances where she's echoed a lot of misinformation, lies, espoused conspiracy theories, the types of things we see there that is exactly what led both myself and sort of many other people at my university to be very upset about her being not just invited to speak on campus, but specifically within the context text of the state of journalism. Uh, I would also note that a lot of the promotion around the event very rarely mentioned that she currently worked at Fox uh, or about her issues in the past. It only said, you know, award-winning journalist, formerly 60 Minutes. Uh, and I found that extremely disingenuous and misinforming the students and the public. So that really is how I got started wanting to speak out on this, wanting to make my concerns and other con people's concerns known. Uh, and that's how this began, I would say. Well, of course, protests over these sorts of things are contentious. And so I wonder if you can give us some of that kind of context. Like what did you or those of you who were on that, that side of protesting, like what did you do? What result did you hope to gain from that? We have an or a, a relatively new initiative on campus called Take It On, which is a sort of um, encouraging civic discourse and also civic participation in our students on campus. Uh, and so I reached out to someone who runs that on campus because one of the big messages of this initiative is to encourage talking across ideological uh, boundaries, to avoid over -polar polarizing language, things like that. And I reached out to this person as well as one of the people who is going to be moderating the panels, who is a colleague of mine who's in the political science department on campus. And I sort of just told them my concerns. I said, I, I feel like we aren't giving this sort of context. I mean, I, personally speaking, I didn't feel like there was there wasn't much concern in their response. It was more you're welcome to have come, ask questions during a Q and A, things like that which I understand. And so it was after that, I sort of decided individually, I'm gonna make a sign and I just wanna sit at the entrance. And I did. The sign said, Lara Logan spreads misinformation. I had six 
categories. I said, you know, on the COVID vaccine, on the 2020 election, on Antifa. Uh, and I had examples in mind for all of these. And that was my plan. I was going to sit there silently, allow people who were entering to engage with me if they wanted. Uh, I think I included at the bottom of the sign, please ask for details. So a sort of silent protest that was, again, I viewed it less as a protest of her appearing and more as trying to better inform the people who were going to attend this event, um, who this person was and why some of her language in the past might hurt her credibility. What ended up happening is my department, the communication department, our chair, Wendy Maxian, and then uh, several other people there shared my concerns, especially as the communication department. We felt we are the closest things to talk about the role of media and journalism today. Uh, and we wrote an open letter to the person who was putting on the event uh, over at the Smith Center, just saying our concerns, sort of echoing some of the things I said with our evidence. And so once we knew that was going on, more faculty across campus in different departments kind of reached out to me and said, you know, I heard you're doing something. How can I get involved? And so there ended up being, uh, I would say, six or seven, uh, which isn't actually that bad. We're a relatively small campus. Um, faculty just kind of sitting out front uh, with different signs on, on the day of the event. So it was a very natural growth of just individual people sharing their concerns. Um, you know, there was not really the closest thing to an institutional response would have been our department's open letter that we sent uh, basically on our social media and then to the people putting on the event. And as I understand it, then things stepped up a notch, though, on the, oh, on the yeah. day of the event. During the course of the panel... She gets asked, and I thought very nicely, and I was glad she was, about her history with that Benghazi reporting. And if this is a panel on really the main question they were kind of leading on this panel was trust in news media is at its lowest point. What can we do about it? As a, someone who studies ecosystems and news media, I found it kind of funny that you're asking that question and you almost have your answer right here on the panel. Like, this is an issue. So during her response to one of these questions, uh, Lara Logan calls out my communication department. You know, we weren't, again, chanting or, or disrupting in any way. And so someone must have told her that we sent this letter. And she says, I heard the communication department didn't want me to come here. Is anyone here from the communication department? And I raised my hand. And so I was thrust into the debate here with her and ended up having a sort of one-on-one -on -one in front of everyone, a challenge. Uh, and again, this was not really the uh, a goal. Uh, I'm sure I would have asked a question during a Q&A to sort of uh, pointedly get at some of her misinformation and things like that. But she called me out or called our department out. She asked if we didn't want her on campus. I said, uh, no, it's not that we didn't want you on campus. We didn't want you on in this particular context. Uh, I tried to sort of clarify that. And, and she kind of ranted, for lack of a better word. Uh, I think she was trying to make an argument of, you know, us trying to silence dissent and things like that, those types of arguments. And, and it's when I realized that she wanted a sort of, I think, antagonist in the room to play off of. And so she literally asked for one. She asked for who was there. So it wasn't the most productive conversation. Uh, I tried to say, I'm not here to relitigate the Benghazi issue, but I did say, you seem to be walking back your 
claiming it was a mistake in your apology. And she tried to sort of deflect that and say, well, no, but I think a lot of the reporting was still good. And so there wasn't a lot of coming to terms, I would say, with what I think could be a really good teaching lesson about you know, the difficulties of doing journalism. And there were, we were always scratching at it. You know, they talked a little bit about, you know, difficulty of doing sourcing and reliability, but then we would just kind of move on to her personal concerns and critiques of what she has said in her own words is a liberal news media bias. So we had a little bit of a back and forth there. I tried to turn it around and say, You know, I don't want to talk about Benghazi, but I do think that us having this conversation helps answer the original question of why there's such a trust problem. And then they sort of continued on with the panel. I we had our moment. What really hits is when after the panel, she approached me in the audience and we talked for about 10 minutes and there was just kind of a crowd around us. And she was talking to me straightforward and was very excited to talk to me. Um, she saw my sign that says Lara Logan spread misinformation and loved it. She was smiling. She was like, oh, I love this sign. Can I keep it? I said, no. Uh, was she trying to be ironic or campy? Like, what was she doing? It's a really good question. I, I don't quite know. I, I obviously don't know where her head was. I would say there is a couple of things. I think one, she was trying to show that what I was saying and the claims I was making both out loud and on my sign didn't bother her, right? Mm. Like, hey, I'm just going to come up and sort of talk to you. Um, But she was, it wasn't even just that they didn't bother. She was excited about it. She was playing it up. Uh, There's a picture on Twitter, maybe I'll, I'll share it or you can share, that somebody else posted where she's holding my sign, I'm standing next to her, and she's ecstatic, I would say, just a huge big smile on her face. Uh, I think she genuinely wanted to kind of have a go, uh, for lack of a better word. And again, it wasn't the most substantive. I tried to say you're spreading misinformation about, again, the elect. she's brought up the election was possibly stolen and that we can't trust vaccines. And anytime I would challenge her on one of these points, her response was sort of, well, how do you know you can trust the vaccines? How do you know we can trust that the election wasn't stolen? And I, it, it got so frustrating to me to have that conversation. I eventually said, well, now you're just asking a philosophical question of how can we know anything? This is sort of skepticism. And I said, that's not really great for news media, I think. It was almost like, and I'm going to use a, a metaphor here that fits with one of my side interests personally and professionally is I've done some research on professional wrestling. <laughs> this is not the, mm. I'm not the first person to compare politics to professional wrestling, but it felt like these two people who maybe were fighting in the ring, once they get backstage, kind of talking about it and her saying like, oh, I love your sign, I think raises very genuine, serious concerns saying like, that's such a bizarre, it's like someone saying like, oh, I loved how you hit me with that chair. Like, oh, that was such a great moment. Like it felt to me, that's where I felt that performance coming out, that she was sort of performing the, I would say, ideology, this identity uh, that she's now been performing on Fox, you know, over the last year or so. And I was then wrapped up into the performance. I was that antagonist. And this is where my background and study of sort of performativity and stuff came in, where I realized that as I walked away and later that day, like what sort of happened? 
And it felt for a brief moment getting a different perspective on things that a lot of us study, which is not just the news ecosystem, but specifically the Fox News ecosystem and their style of, again, I say reporting in quotes, but just sort of, you know, communication, I guess, in general is is there is this performance and these sort of drawing of lines. And I kind of got swept into it unknowingly uh, as a result of this interaction. Well, especially when you were talking about and describing like it wasn't a productive conversation in the way we would want something like that to be, it sounds like to her, it was exactly the kind of thing that she wanted. She got to perform her role. Um, I'm curious if your sense was then that, because I love this backstage analogy, like was she assuming you would feel the same way that you are able to perform your role as the liberal academic? I, I don't know if that's what she was going for or not, but... She certainly, I don't think, was interested in actually engaging with many of my critiques for maybe obvious reasons. But uh, again, there was also, I should say, another detail where there was some of that sort of backstage revealing. Like, she even was being open. Again, this was in our interaction after the panel. You know, wow, I never wanted to end up at Fox, but this is the only, you know, this is the place I ended up. Like, that was a, a, a there were these surprising moments of what I felt were honesty. Uh, you know, she's like, I'm vaccinated. My kids are vaccinated. I'm like, great. I'm, ha I'm happy you are because you're talking to me very close right now without <laughs> a mask. I was wearing a mask. Uh, I, I, I don't know if I'll ever know exactly why she decided to come up and talk to me after. I could understand why she called us out during the panel. I'm not sure after, but I'll be honest. I actually kind of appreciated it because I was like, she didn't have to do that. Maybe she thought it would make for a better moment or maybe it would look better or maybe she just genuinely was excited about it. You know, some people get really excited about having debates and talking to people they disagree with. And, and at some level, I think that was it. She was just really excited, I think, to talk to somebody who was going to challenge her. And I, I'll, I'll give some uh, credit where it's due there. Like that's a that can be an admirable thing. But as, a, as we've said, I don't think it actually led to anything productive, but. There we are. <laughs> well, and then as far as the value to, to you, let's think about that then the scholarly perspective and, you know, in what way maybe this illuminates something that you, you know, have studied or makes you think about something in a different way or how you will capitalize on this in your own work, taking this experience forward. Yeah, I think in part by being drawn into this performance or whatever we want to call it, display of debate that I ended up having with this media figure, you know, it does make me realize that I had this opportunity because this person was sort of physically here. When we write our scholarship or we present at conferences, it is more often, you know, we're talking to each other. Uh, that work doesn't always get out into the mainstream, for lack of a better word. But we as academics, especially I would say humanities and media studies folks, are still figures to those people who are outside our sphere, whether it's the, the liberal ivory tower or the people who are indoctrinating students or any of the sort of types of uh, criticisms that get lobbed at us. We hold a position in their minds or in their rhetoric, whether that's true or not. And so I think we, and I know I individually, will sort of have to be mindful of that, especially as I consider and try to always do more forms of public pedagogy, whether it's, uh, you know, it was only a few weeks ago I 
appeared on a local NBC news station just because after the Facebook data leaks, uh, I have a connection there. So anytime there's a big tech story, sometimes they'll come out and chat with me. And I think those are really important for us. But now I think I, I have to be very mindful of what are the expectations and what are the ideas that the possible audience has about me when it says, you know, professor at Xavier University on the screen, you know, they already got some expectations about me and we have to be mindful of that. Um, It's a unique challenge when we try to be more publicly facing in our in our pedagogy and in our research. I think we can get very comfortable in our in our bubbles or, or even like, oh, I'm going to, you know, we're going to make our statement on campus. And then I, I realized I was just a few degrees removed from maybe if she took my sign or if someone took the right picture, I'm like, she could talk about me the next time she's on air. And she could say, you know, this group tried to silence me or something. So it was a little concerning. I'll, I'll be honest. Uh, and that doesn't mean I would do anything differently, uh, but just try to be more mindful of that as we, I, I encourage, I want us to be more publicly facing, but uh, there's a reason why we maybe will hesitate to do that. And it, and it can be scary because we have to be mindful of how others might already be thinking of using us or perceiving us once we enter these spaces that are maybe less uh, custom to academics being invited there. Yeah, and it sounds like your original impetus for all of this was just to provide more context, and that's what academics try to do, right? We just want people to better understand the context of everything. So in that regard, thank you for uh, bringing to Academia the context for this event. Well, and perfectly put, yeah, like if there's one thing we teach in media literacy, right, uh, it's just we want to know more about where our media is coming from, who's saying it, what's the reasonings behind it, and Hopefully we can also bring those lessons to our actual universities when they come up short. <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't think we're going to affect maybe Laura Logan on that, that <laughs> sure. aspect, but at least maybe on our own home institutions. Absolutely. And so, and I'll say I, I have no results yet, but people, again, even from some of these initiatives have said, like, is there something we can do in the future to address these? So there might be something from it. I don't know yet, uh, but we can hope, you know, I think we even, I tried to pitch, you know, hey, maybe we could just have better guidelines for how we promote people coming to campus or something or or having a, a stricter set of standards for you know that a visitor has to uphold obviously early days for that but hopefully that that's a good place we can at least start for advocating for some of these things is on campus well thanks so much for uh, talking to us about this story drew thanks for having me yowza Yeah, that was some hot stuff. And things have gotten even hotter around Lara Logan. So last week she was on Fox News and uh, compared Anthony Fauci to Dr. Mengele. And she has not appeared on Fox News since. And I believe she's maybe been scrubbed from the Fox Nation website. So it's, uh, you know, perhaps somehow maybe crossed a line for Fox. And yet they, of course, have not acknowledged that. They're just sort of, you know, kind of brushing that away. Um, But Drew also contacted me and noted that 
Um, there's a, a student wrote an op-ed, and we will post that on our website, aka-media.org. That's it. And it's, uh, about, it's from a, a Chinese uh, student, and she said she experienced racism and intimidation during a separate event with Logan and students. And so um, that is worth uh, reading, and particularly the kind of reverberating effects of her visit to Xavier are worth thinking about. Yeah, it's the it's a story that just kind of keeps on it keeps on keeping on. I, I can't even say that it keeps on giving. It's just like mm. it's just a stinky, stinky onion, and you just peel off a layer, and there's some more stinky onion inside. Well, and she, you know, from from Drew's description, it's it seemed clear that she knows this role she's playing. She's very self aware of it, um, and yet she also comes across as incredibly sincere in to be rude about her lunacy um, on things like that, that yeah. clip from, you know, comparing Fauci to, to um, Dr. Mengele. And so there's this, you know, and, and maybe this is the, you know, kind of especially how that gets pulled off in the Fox Nation world, um, that she genuinely believes these things, but also knows how to perform that genuine belief in a way that's very compelling to their viewers. And then can also back away from it as just a performance, right. you know, um, Maybe not kidding, but not not kidding. Mm -hmm. uh, so that it's like everything is uh, deniable. Right. It's, it was, it was. I don't know, I found it honestly quite chilling and fascinating and weird and kind of strangely funny to talk about um, this incident as like a, uh, a professional wrestling match. Mm -hmm. But geez, that's like, yeah, that's yeah. journalism adjacent, I guess. Well, and then especially then the question is always like, what can be done about this? And so I think Drew's description of, uh, you know, offering context to students when, you know, if you have a speaker like this come to your campus and doing the best you can to offer some of that context um, is important. But as far as that wider question of, you know, unless Fox News does change its orientation, I don't know what we can do about that in the wider world. It's a challenge. Um, and I do think there's a lesson there also about academics speaking up about uh, their areas of expertise mm -hmm. and that this is a conversation that maybe should happen on campus, but it, it should happen with the full participation and critical engagement of the journalism or the, or our communication department or a media studies department. The idea that a business school is going to host somebody who is such a, um, you know, an alt-right bomb thrower and and use that as a platform to talk about the, the, the flaws within uh, the field of journalism. Yeah. Come on. There is at least something revealing about that in terms of the fact that, the, you know, Fox News and, you know, of course, CNN and MSNBC, they're driven by money, right? Their businesses are driven by being businesses. And this is something that's come up a lot in my history of TV class. I'm teaching the semester and we return to, you know, for instance, the um, Newton Minow's Vast Wasteland speech and who, of course, I got to interview Newton Minow, um, put in a plug for mm -hmm. presenting the past, the AAPB podcast, where I got to chat with uh, Newton Minow and his daughter, Mary Minow. And, you know, the things you read in that speech and that he's still talking about today about the, the importance of the public interest that still resonates, you know, with my students and with me now. And, and we kept returning to that as a touch point when the students were, were talking about 
um, you know, kind of frustrations with um, elements of, uh, for instance, you know, we're talking about conglomeration and they're asking about, you know, will we someday have only one company, one conglomerate? And no, we won't have that, but we might have just five. Um, and they keep coming back to this touchstone idea of the notion of the public interest. But again, Fox News is under no, certainly no regulation, obviously, but not even a, apparently any kind of moral guideline of, of operating in the public interest. And so in that sense, it's fitting that a business school would host her. But yeah, for that question about journalism, no, that's not the question at hand. No. Thinking about, about how this comes up, comes up in our classes, I've been teaching my Cold War class this semester, and we ended by going back to... Uh, Arthur Schlesinger Jr. and the Vital Center, and mm. which is essentially all about um, a call for preservation of arenas of respectful political conflict. Mm. Um, and it, and I remember the first time I I was reading that stuff, it felt so kind of um, it seems sort of quaint and naive, and um, it's just been really, really. Uh, striking to see how hungry our younger students are for really taking questions of the public interest seriously and mm -hmm. and maybe willing to fight for it in a way that we really even haven't had a, a kind of um, public conversation about in over a generation. Yeah. And, you know, you and I have both taught these classes. I've taught history of TV for, you know, since I got here at Notre Dame 20 plus years ago. And these things would come up, but just like the intensity with which students are focusing on that. And I think it's because they've seen what happens when that is completely absent yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and they're recognizing the consequences of that. And unfortunately, they're the young people who are going to then go out in that kind of world and they don't want to see that kind of world. So that's I mean, at least maybe that's heartening seeing our students, yeah. um, you know, really caring and being deeply committed about this. So hopefully they can fix things that we couldn't. <laughs> they're the ones. All right. It's on you out there. No students. pressure, kid. Let's let's make this world a better place. Just a really easy call for action there. So that is our active media bite. But it doesn't bite. <laughs> it's just a bite. It was tasty. It was tasty. It was that. So tasty, too. And man, Drew, mm. seriously, dude, mm. standing up, asking the question, pursuing the conversation uh, in a respectful, thoughtful way, I mean, that is demonstrating to your entire community uh, the importance of uh, thoughtful, critical engagement. So Definitely. And, and thanks to him for sharing that story with us, too, is allowing us to, uh, to um, share his insights with the, with the world. And then for also being the expert who could help understand it within a completely different frame of, mm -hmm. of celebrity and performance. Yeah, definitely. Sort of it's a good example of what we are supposed to do with our expertise. That's right. That's right. Okay. Um, we have, before we depart our, our bite here, we wanted to wish a fond farewell to Joel Neville Anderson, who's uh, moving on and uh, will no longer be one of our uh, producers. So thank you so much for your service to Acamedia, Joel yes, Neville indeed. Anderson. Yes, indeed. We're grateful to have you in the, in the, on the crew. And that does uh, then leave us an open spot. So if any of you out there are interested in helping out, and this is very simple stuff as far as, you know, you might be helping, you know, Bill Kirkpatrick upload the uh, episode to our RSS feed, or I don't know what any of this is called, but to do that, um, if you have ideas for segments, you have interviews you want to do, uh, you could uh, join our team. So let us know at info at ACA you got it. hyphen yeah. media. Yeah. Is that 
dot org dot org <laughs> okay. you got see info <laughs> at aka hyphen media dot org okay on twitter at uh aka underscore media because they don't do hyphens there on twitter so no, it's an underscore don't. and if you're uh an old-fashioned coot like me you can find <laughs> us on facebook as well oh my goodness facebook meta oh god yeah uh, don't even all right that's mm-hmm. another bite yeah um <laughs> Acomedia is produced with the support of the University of Notre Dame and the Society for Cinema and Media Studies. We are grateful for the, the hard work and help of our co-conspirators, which include uh, the golden-eared Dodd Thompson down at the University of Texas. We also have Stephanie Brown at Westchester University and Frank Mondelli at Stanford University. And also Bill Kirkpatrick, newly relocated to the to the uh, wild, wild north. And, uh, and University of Winnipeg in particular. Yeah, and thank you again to Drew Zolitas. You rock. All right, we'll see you next month or sometime for another bite. When it's time for another tasty bite.